Hello everyone, this is Cody Antisfermis, and I am sitting here with David Lapp. And I'm sitting here with David Lapp because there are a couple um, topics that um, he has some pretty interesting insights on that are sort of related. And um, I thought he would be a great, um, he'd provide a great perspective on these on these related topics. The first one has to do with politics, and the second one has to do with religion. And um, so I'll, I'll maybe we'll start, David, just by um, uh, starting on the, talking about this project you're doing, Better Angels. Can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah. So Better Angels is a bipartisan network of leaders and organizations whose mi whose mission is to reunite America. So that's very ambitious, of course, um, but we're trying to do our small part with that. Basically, the idea is that um, in America right now, there are three what three big divides that we're focusing on. First is the partisan divide, um, you know, the, the growing animosity between people, Republicans and Democrats, people, red and blue America. Um, the governing divide between those, between the governed and the governing, between the politicians and the people. Um, you know, Congress has like a, you know, what, like 15% approval rating or something like that. Um, so there's not a lot of faith in our elected leaders, and for understandable reasons. There's a massive divide there. And then finally, the class divide, the growing um, gap and divide between, um, um, you know, affluent America, upper middle class America, and, you know, kind of working class America. The middle class is kind of, um, is, uh, is increasingly hollowing out. And so Better Angels, we are interested in helping to bridge these divides. And um, so our main activity now with Better Angels is bringing together um, people from Red America and Blue America for uh, dialogues to try to better understand the experiences and views of people on the other side, as well as to find some common ground. How's that been working out? Surprisingly well. So a month, well, a couple of days after the election, my colleague, um, David Blankenhorn, he founded, uh, he founded Better Angels. Uh, we're a small startup, you know, it's David and myself and um, a couple of part-time staff and a senior fellow, Bill Doherty. And, but David called me up after the election, a couple of days after the election, he lives in the Upper West Side. And he said, you know, David, it's like a morgue up here. Um, you know, people are just really upset. And, you know, I live in working class Ohio. And um, I said, well, I said, David, you know, some people, a lot of, some people that I know are talking about hope and change. And um, they're really excited about what's going on. And so we said, well, we need to, you know, we need to get the two sides talking to each other. Um, so we did. So you asked, how's it going? Well, we did our first gathering a month after the election in December here in um, southwestern Ohio and um, it was 11 Clinton voters 10 Trump voters and there was a lot of I mean it was a month after election election there was still a lot of raw passion mm -hmm. and uh, distrust I think of the other side on both sides and um, and and a feeling of of how could you vote for this other person, you know, from mm -hmm. among the Trump people, how could you vote for this Hillary Clinton? And of course, among the Hillary Clinton voters, how could you vote for this Donald mm -hmm. Trump guy? And um, as, but as one participant in the conversation said, 
um, he said, you know, I think we came to this and, uh, you know, we all kind of peered over the wall a little bit and found that we're not as far apart as we might have initially thought. So um, the first gathering, it was really hard. Uh, there were some, I mean, tears were shed in the sense of like, you know, like this is hard. Um, like uh, uh, one participant walked out um, when we were talking about matters of race, a very sensitive uh, subject and one participant walked out and we didn't know if this person was going to come back and join us. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, but, uh, this person did. And by the end it was, you know, we were all kind of, on, um, feeling good about what we had accomplished. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there was a sense coming out of that first gathering that this is really important. And several people said that we should do this, you know, more often and that we should, um, invite more people into this. Mm -hmm. So then we did it a second time, um, he, again, here in Ohio, um, uh, just two weekends ago. And I mean, this was an incredibly powerful gathering. And by the end, we were shedding tears. And, and these were good tears, tears of healing, I think. Um, there was a lot of surprise on both sides about um, how the other side, there was, there was by the other side, self-criticism. Mm. So in other words, I'll give you an example. So um, among the Trump voters, they said, we were discussing stereotypes of each side. And the Trump voters said, said, yeah, I mean, you know, they said, you know, we have to be honest, some Trump, some Trump voters are racist and that's wrong. And we, we have, we condemn that. And, and one Trump voter said, yeah, I said, I'll be honest. I think that uh, Republicans did not always treat President Obama fairly. And so for the folks on the Blue America side, this was like, wow, like, thank you for saying that. Thank you for acknowledging this. And it was like a breath of fresh air. Um, it's hard to acknowledge those kind of things when you're keeping score and you don't want to yes, lose any points. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But the whole idea with these gatherings is that we're not, um, well, first of all, you know, one of the things we say is we speak for ourselves. We don't speak for any group or anyone else we're coming if i'm coming to this as david lapp i'm not speaking for the republicans i'm not speaking for the democrats i'm not speaking for the independents speaking as david lapp and um so i think that's important um but yeah and then also you know just some points of common ground like at our last gathering that we just had one area of common ground that emerged was um a lot of agreement about the importance of paid family leave um, one of the Trump voters brought this up as, as an issue that was really important for her. She had, she had to go back to work only a couple days after having one of her children, mm -hmm. um, uh, just in order to, you know, to keep putting food on the table and pay the bills. Um, and this was a really important issue for her. And, and, you know, a lot of the Trump voters and the, uh, the folks in blue America, they said, yeah, they said, we need to get behind this. We need to do this. So, um, I think there was a lot of kind of, you know, there's there's kind of a high that has happened after these weekend gatherings, and and you know sometimes we tend to kind of poo poo, you know, that's a that's a retreat, you know, that's what happens on retreats, blah blah blah. But I think there's something really important there, and that is that we are meant as human beings, we're social beings, we're meant to connect with each other. We're not meant to be divided in this way, mm -hmm. where we where we intensely dislike and even hate each other. We're not meant to be enemies. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I think that that high of that we feel after a weekend gathering like this is the high of human connection, which is how we're meant we're meant to be connected. Mm -hmm. And now, and this has actually gotten some some media attention. I know NPR had done a story on the on it. Right. Yeah. So NPR uh, they found out about a first gathering here in Ohio, and they did an hour long segment on it. And Bill Doherty, who is um, the lead moderator of the gathering, he's a marriage therapist at the University of Minnesota. So he was on the show, and they invited um, two of the uh, one Trump voter, one Clinton voter from the gathering to appear on the show. And um, and uh, so yeah, it went, and, and then after that too, it was really great because what happened was, um, you know, we've heard from dozens and dozens of people all across the country, from Sacramento, California, to St. Albans, Vermont, people saying. Um, wow, this is this is what what I I'd like to do something similar in my mm -hmm. community. How could we do that? And so what we're seeing is kind of a grassroots movement beginning to form here of people who are tired of the polarization, mm -hmm. and they want and we and we we're, there's a feeling that you know we want we can't just keep on being divided like this. We've got to try to do better. And um, so it's encouraging to see. Um, and then this summer, we're going to be doing a bus tour going from Cincinnati to upstate New York. And um, so hopefully, um, we'll, the, the message will continue to spread. Yeah. Well, and I think talking about some of those those core issues that we, you know, find that we, we sort of agree on, you know, that, that there's this, there is something sort of that's central Whereas the political parties tend to focus on very specific kind of radical identity issues, and I think there's an assumption that that only happens on the left, but I it seemed very clear to me that there was a lot of that happening on the right as well. But mm -hmm. but there are things that there is a lot of overlap, mm -hmm. and and I think what we're interested in doing, and it, it kind of brings to mind a, um, a song by a um, um, kind of a black R and B, and I guess you call him a folk singer. Uh, from the 70s and he did stuff after that named uh, Gil Scott Heron and he was sort of talking about his and one song talking about his interaction with white radicals who claimed to be down for the cause of civil rights and uh, you know he said you know you, you guys are just interested in you know uh, you know violence and throwing Molotov cocktails and sex in the streets and I'm just interested in being able to feed my family and put food on the table <laughs> and and I think you know at the end of the day that is those are the issues that we're interested in mm. whether we're whatever we're talking about. I think it were the, the, those are our chief concerns and we have disagreements about how to best do that. But yes, yeah, but those exactly. are, those are what we really ultimately want. Yes, exactly. And that's one thing that has emerged from these, we, these gatherings is that we see that um, we care about many of the same things, mm -hmm. but our ideas about how to get there and how to achieve these goods. Yeah. That's where we differ. So, but this, but this is important. This is big because one of the things so one of the first things that we do during the, the weekend gathering is, is um, you know, the folks from the blue America and the red America side, they gather into their own groups. And uh, so let's say I'm with the, the red America side. Um, and so, you know, red America will be more, you know, voted for Donald Trump, tend to be more conservative, uh, probably Republican and so forth. Blue America tend to be more liberal, probably voted for Hillary Clinton or, you know, or, or a third party candidate. Um, and, um, I definitely don't like Donald Trump, you know, so these are the two sides. So what we do is, uh, invite each group to talk about 
stereotypes that the other side, that they think the other side has about them that are inaccurate or exaggerated. And one of the stereotypes that, uh, for instance, came up with um, the blue side is they said, well, you know, they, the, the, the red, red America thinks that we don't care about America, that we're unpatriotic, that we're just kind of, you know, globalist citizens who just don't care about the country, mm -hmm. our country. And, um, but what they were saying was, no, that we really do care about the United States of America, that we have patriotic fervor and patriotic feelings for our country. And, um, and after our first gathering, one of the participants, he said, you know, he said, I think coming into this, I thought that if someone voted for Hillary Clinton, that they probably didn't care about this country too much. But he said, I now see that, no, they really do care about this country. We just have different ideas for how to how to improve our country, mm -hmm. and so that's big. And I mean, actually, another example is um, one of the participants, um, a Trump voter. Um, he came into a gathering saying, you know, he didn't want to participate in the gathering. He said, you know, basically, I think that the other side um, that you can't really use logic with them. Mm -hmm. And by the way, one of the one of the folks on the blue America side said the same thing, oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Separately, um, but 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 <coughs> afterwards, um, you know, I mean, this person was a terrific participant, and I think he changed his mind about that. Mm -hmm. uh, he had um, and saw that. Well, actually, no, that you know, people are on the blue side are really reasonable. They just have different ideas for how to achieve these these goods that we're all trying to seek. So that's big. That's, a, that's it. Kind of seems elementary, maybe. But it's huge to recognize that uh, and to honor the, um, the other side and to acknowledge that, yes, they, most of them probably do care about the country and, um, and, and, and basic human goods. And we just have different ideas for how to get there. And if somebody wants to learn more about Better Angels, where, where would they find you? Yeah, so they can go to better-angels.org and uh, you can become a member, um, you know, get our updates. And, um, and if you are interested in, in hosting a gathering in your community, in your area, um, you know, we would love to help make that happen. And, and so if somebody wants to learn more about what you're doing, because I know you've, you've done a lot of focus on family-related studies and that kind of thing, where would somebody find Yeah, you? so a lot of the work, so what um, my entry point into Better Angels uh, has really been with the the class divide. You know, I was talking about the three divides, um, and what I've been thinking the most about for the last you know decade is is the ways in which our country is divided by class. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I live in a mostly white working class town, and um, and you know, in which you know, there's I, I see that even in my own um, neck of the woods that there can be a kind of um, divide between, you know, even like affluent whites and working class whites, you know, and um, and I really think that it's important for our country that, you know, a lot of the social problems that we have, whether it's, you know, like the opioid addiction crisis or, um, you know, family fragmentation, I mean, we, a lot of these are social problems and therefore require social solutions, which means that all of us have to be, we have to do this together. Mm -hmm. we're, we're social creatures, so we have to do this together. Um, so anyway, so that's, so a lot of that, 
um, writing about class divides and, and, and issues of family structure, um, uh, that you can find that on our website at family-studies.org. Mm -hmm. That's the uh, website of another think tank called the Institute for Family Studies. Great. Kind of segueing a little bit, um, I'm interested as well in issues of ecumenism and, and, and how we you know, separate on, you know, as Protestants or Catholics or, or, or Eastern Orthodox or whatever. And I'm seeing, you know, sort of something similar there that, you know, in the political realm, you know, ultimately we're going to be convinced by whatever reasons we have to be a Democrat or Republican or whatever. But at the same time, you know, I think we need to be willing to, you know, appreciate what the other side has to say, be willing to see them as friends and neighbors or family members. Mm -hmm. And and I think try to have know enough about what we believe and what someone else believes mm -hmm. to know why we believe what we believe without uh, going to extremes. And and I think mm -hmm. the nice thing about conversation and dialogue and, and is that you can have a clearer idea about what you believe and why, mm -hmm. while also actually being willing to appreciate insights of the other side. Yes, and that you can also there's sort of a centering, I think, that happens there as well. Not that at the end of the day, what, what, what Christians need to do is just all agree, mm -hmm. but, but there's a centering in the sense that we will be Protestant or Catholic or Eastern yeah. Orthodox without going all the way to the extremes. Yeah. What that looks like. Yeah. And, and by the way, so we'll dive more deeply into that, but just to, for, for a moment to be on the bridge here and to tie that to the better angels, one of the things, for instance, that happened at our last gathering was one of the the Trump voters, you know, really red Tea Party guy, um, uh, very pro-Trump, and he attends a Pentecostal Christian church. He was sitting next to an Iranian-American immigrant, um, and they kind of, throughout the weekend, they kind of struck up on this idea that they're going to try to do, which is that, um, you know, the, the Pentecostal Christian, he's going to visit... Um, a mosque with his new Iranian American friend, and and um, and the Iranian American gentleman is going to visit um, you know the, the church that uh, the Tea Party guy goes to, mm. and not as they said as a way, and this is key, not as a way of trying to convert or change each other, but as a way of better understanding their respective worlds, mm -hmm. and I think that is really important um, because. I think that um, an important, I think a growing, an, an insight that has come from ecumenism and even, even I would say, interfaith dialogue that has come about in maybe the last, you know, 50, 100 years is this insight that a really important way of loving each other, of loving our neighbor is to, um, is to try to, understand where they are coming from and to um not necessarily to 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 try to be um you know not to be in a relationship for the purpose of converting each other because mm -hmm. that kind of violates something about friendship that kind of violates something about the dignity of the human person um because a person is an end in himself and so it's good if i know you Cody, regardless of, regardless of if you're, you know, Orthodox or Catholic or Evangelical Protestant, you know, it's good that I am friends with you. 
um, because you are an end. And um, and so um, so yeah, I just think that's a really important insight that that and there is kind of and also because we really do um, in the end. I mean, I'm trying to love Jesus, follow Jesus as best as I can. You're trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm a Catholic Christian. You're I don't know how you describe yourself, um, but not a Catholic Christian. Um, but we're both trying to follow Jesus as best we can, and I think that's important to honor that. And I, and I, I don't I don't have a problem with you trying to convince me of Roman Catholicism, but I I also appreciate the fact that we are friends regardless of whether yeah. you manage to do well, that or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, of course, yeah, no, look, of course, I'm going to try to persuade you, right? That 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 you're going to try to set me straight. I'm going to try to set you straight. Obviously. You're definitely going to try to set me straight. But what I'm saying is that I'm not a friend with of you because I'm trying to, you know, in in order for the sole purpose of trying to get you to convert to Roman Catholicism, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think you're a friend of, of me because you're trying you know, for the same reason. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's something about the dignity of friendship and the dignity of the human person that kind of requires that um, that we're not in this just to convert each other. Although we do try to persuade each other. Sure. This is good. Yeah. This is good. Because truth matters too, right? Mm -hmm. We believe that truth is real. Well, and, and I, so for, for kind of looking at these these sort of gaps that we have of Protestant and Catholic or Protestant and Eastern Orthodox or whatever. I, I, I kind of was looking at a few case studies and I wanted to sort of throw you in there as well. And I was looking at Scott Hahn, who I know you're, you're fairly familiar with. Um, and it was sort of, I think he was Presbyterian originally. Right. He actually, yeah, he was, um, his father-in-law was, uh, his father-in-law was my wife's pastor growing hmm. up. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. So uh, from reading kind of his conversion story, it seemed that there were concerns over contraception, um, over Protest uh, some forms of Protestantisms. Um, well, a common form of Protestantism, um, it, it's kind of narrow definition of the gospel is penal substitution, um, that he sort of felt that there was something more in the gospel that had to do with union with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't really getting that in the circles he was in. It was focused only on this idea that, well, Christ paid for me and this is legal transaction and boom, that's it. And um, I think he also, there were issues related to Sola Scriptura, um, particularly the argument that you, you kind of commonly hear uh, from, from Catholics that, well, Sola Scriptura isn't in scripture, uh, but First Timothy 3.15 says that the pillar and foundation of the truth is the church. Mm -hmm. And, um, then I think from there, he actually started attending Catholic services and felt that the Catholic services were more uh, spiritual, more spiritual in a sense. They're, they're, more, they're more rich with biblical liturgy. And it connected with him in a more full-bodied way than I think a lot of, well, at the very least, Presbyterian services. You know, the charismatic Pentecostal churches, they can be pretty full-bodily, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, 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 they get all in it. Uh, and then um, there was Rod Dreher. Um, who uh, was writing, who's recently wrote a pretty interesting book right now, controversial book called The Benedict Option. Uh, and he had converted to Catholicism after being raised Methodist, but he left the church after the sex abuse scandal mm -hmm. uh, and a few other things. But I think that was kind of the nail in the coffin for him. I think there was also, yeah, I had a concern about sort of the church going more liberal after Vatican II. Mm -hmm. And he has since converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. And then you have Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man, uh, who has just went went straight from Protestantism to Eastern Orthodoxy? Right. He skipped. He skipped. Yes. Yeah. Roman Catholic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
so uh, and said, I, I'm not wasting any time. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's go for the gusto here. So, and I think his experience was he was in China and he saw Chinese Christians who he said he, he saw them as deeply in love with the Lord. And um, he felt that, you know, well, you know, I may have all this intellectual knowledge or whatever about the Bible, but they have life. And that was him seeing the way that they worshiped and the way they acted as a community felt different to him and, and different in a good way. And he contrasted that with what he had, which was, well, I know all this stuff, but, you know, Protestantism tends to be very uh, rationalistic sometimes, very uh, book-oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he saw something here that seemed different in a good way. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, over time, uh, he'd sort of moved into Eastern Orthodoxy. I think also uh, their view of theosis, of union with God, that uh, what we in Pro Protestants like to call sanctification, mm -hmm. but the idea of, or they sometimes in the East also call it divinization. But the idea is that you grow in your in your in your holiness, and that you begin to participate not in the divine nature, but in the divine energies. That you are, uh, I think uh, Peter sort of talks about this idea as well. That we're anyway. So, um, so yeah. So for him there was something in Eastern Orthodoxy that he felt was deeper and more, and more, um, I don't know, more satisfying, I mm -hmm. guess, spiritually. Mm -hmm. So um, now to sort of add a, add a fourth person in here, wh why did you convert? Mm -hmm. And it seemed that, so you kind of had an interesting background growing up where you were very young, you were, your family was Amish. Right. And they moved to more of a charismatic style. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, more of a charismatic style, like, you know, we were, you know, I grew up watching kind of the televangelists like Benny Hinn, mm. Oral Roberts, Creflo Dollar, um, those people. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then in college, I joined an evangelical Anglican church mm -hmm. because I thought maybe this this was a little bit more substantive, um, a little bit more, a little more steady um, than than the charismatic Protestant Christianity that. I mostly grew up in and um, and you know one of the things going from Amish to charismatic evangelical Protestant to evangelical Anglican to Catholic is um, you know there's there's a sense in which um, I really feel indebted to all of those traditions mm -hmm. um, for helping to um, make me, um, you know, a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, so, um, so yeah. So, but the reason that I was attracted to the Catholic Church, and my wife—I I can't really say just me because it happened for my wife and I it happened at the same time. Actually, part of the reason we started dating was because we started having these conversations about our shared attraction to the Catholic Church. And I think a lot of it was um, a sense of uh, discontent and almost despair or confusion um, from reading the scriptures without any authoritative mm -hmm. um, tradition mm -hmm. uh, or church to back us up. Yeah. Um, and then this this really came through, for instance, when we started thinking about the Eucharist, um, and is 
is you know is the 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 bread and the wine is this really the body and blood of Jesus is this really Jesus offering himself to us or is it just or is it a symbol mm -hmm. um and you know in, in John 6 now we will of course you we would have we could we could dive in here right and have a really meaty conversation about this but thinking about John 6 in which Jesus you know says um uh, is the bread of life discourse it kind of for me was a question of wow okay like i can how do i really I, to me it's it seems like jesus is speaking clearly here but obviously you think differently right <laughs> mm -hmm. you have a different interpretation of, about that um so to me it seemed that it we need it's kind of an authoritative church to help us um to help us an authoritative church that has the backing of the Holy Spirit, right? That mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is genuinely guiding to help us guide us into the fullness of truth. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, I was really hoping that the Catholic Church is right because I didn't really know, I didn't have a lot of confidence in navigating the scriptures and navigating doctrinal controversies kind of on my own mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as an evangelical Protestant. Um, so that was one thing. and then, But it just like just the... The reality of the Eucharist, that uh, coming to believe that Jesus really is present mm -hmm. in in the wine and the bread, He's offering Himself to us. Um, that was really, I mean, so once I became convinced that that was happening, then um, and I was like, well, you know, that's, the Catholics believe this is what's happening, so and they've been believing this for a long time, so I think I want to be a part of that. Um, and then also the teaching on on marriage and um even um teaching against contraception and 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 for um you know the, the practice of natural family planning my wife and i we actually practiced natural family planning before we became catholic and so that was kind of part of our introduction to the catholic church as well and so mm -hmm. we we had become convinced of that and um so it just seemed to us on a lot of things that the church was 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 acting like a rock, was acting like, um, uh, you know, it had been a bulwark for, for, um, you know, about two thousand years, and it, it was the like, pillar and foundation of the. It truth. was the pillar and foundation of the truth. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and two of the reasons you gave there seem to be two of the the three reasons that um, I really see. Um, when I hear people talking about converting from Protestantism mm -hmm. to Catholicism and the one is the authority issue. Mm -hmm. And although maybe not necessarily the Eucharist, I would put that under a larger heading of this idea of a, uh, a more, a deeper spiritual connection or a, or more full bodied experience in worship. Mm -hmm. um, that I think that sometimes I feel like there's a coldness in Protestantism that yeah. uh, that's lacking. But by the way, to, to, uh, to interrupt here that actually the liturgy was actually something that was really foreign to me yeah i felt really out of place i did not have the experience that scott hahn had sure. i think scott hahn talks about the first time he goes to this mass in this basement it's like noon in the weekday weekday mass and he is like so entranced by 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 it me first time i walked into mass i'm like this is really weird but you did connect with the with their the, the way the Eucharist over time, observed. not over time. That did that that okay. took a little bit, but the, I mean, the, but but yeah, like the doctrine of the Eucharist made sense to me. Yeah, but the kind of setting for it and in, in in the in the mass was like, 
you know, and the liturgy and all these, you know, um, you know, the kneeling and the standing and, the, you know, it was just, it was foreign to me. Yeah. Well, now, now, now I is in, you know, I, I think I'm happy to call myself a Protestant overall. I, I don't necessarily like the idea of defining myself as uh, in contrast to something else. Mm -hmm. The idea of being a Protestant means, well, you know, well, you look at Catholicism here, and then you take some of these central issues, and this is where we disagree. Right, you're protesting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, but I, I, I'm happy to say that I, at the very least, I'll say I agree with the five solos of the Reformation, mm -hmm. Sola Scriptura, and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. Sola Fide. And where one thing that I, I, where I sort of saw the authority issue, I understand why that's why that's a, an attractive feature, but I think... You know, I, I, I'm very interested in epistemology and some of those, those issues of, you know, how do we know certain things? And it seemed to me that the Catholic faith, or neither Roman Catholicism nor Eastern Orthodoxy, necessarily cleared up that problem. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you still have... Um, you still something... have Pope Francis and critics of Pope Francis within the Catholic Church. Sure, and you have a <laughs> discussion over, well, what's really authoritative here? And, right. you know, what, what scriptures has the Church defined? If there, mm -hmm. Are there any? Mm -hmm. um, and so you have all this sort of mounds and mounds of extra reading material, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know that you, for one thing, you have to interpret the reading material mm -hmm. <laughs> or someone has to interpret the reading material and then you have to interpret how they've interpreted it. So mm -hmm. there's all, there's all, there's sort of this ad infinitum issue of interpretation that mm -hmm. I see. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like, okay, well, if God has told us that scripture is God breathed. Mm -hmm and uh, trustworthy and reliable for, for doctrine and reproof and correction, that kind of thing. Why isn't that enough? Because that's, and I think Sola Scriptura is not saying if you open up the Bible, it's going to tell you that Scripture is the only infallible source of truth. Well, it doesn't mm -hmm. exactly say that, mm -hmm. but it does say it's the only thing that's described as God-breathed. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, the basis of Sola Scriptura is, well, mm -hmm. tradition's great. Mm -hmm. It's great to have people who know what they're talking about, who, who can authoritatively interpret it to some degree. But at the end of the day, Scripture is the only thing described as God breathed, and I mm -hmm. think that's a a weaker explanation of sola scriptura than I think some people have understood it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's ultimately what the reformers were getting at, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's the only way you can really defend it biblically mm -hmm. is to say, well, this is the only thing that we we know is God breathed. Got right? it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah, and you're right. It's certainly. I mean, within so right, I mean, right now in 2017, right, um, there is a lot of division within a Catholic church, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that Pope Francis has at least exposed, um, some would say provoked, um, and, um, you know, charges of heresy and, you know, uh, you know, well, from... And, and there's been this whole state of Vaconist issue. Yeah, and the whole state of Vaconist, yeah, yeah, right. Since Vatican II, where people are saying, well, Vatican II is a heretical council and because of yes. that no pope who's been on well, the, the pope the, the, yes. the pope has been empty since vatican ii but that's I, not a major view but it is right. it does exist well and to be fair though those who i mean th there there have been those who take that view and they've been excommunicated they've been excommunicated yeah. from the church um so but so yes there are these there are these you know deep divisions within the catholic church but i still you know would say that um if i for instance as a um, Catholic theologian, if I were to say that I dissent from Humanae Vitae, the, the 1968 encyclical um, that you know clarified that um, that uh, contraception is 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 a problem, 
if I were to, as a as a theologian to dissent to publicly dissent from that, I would be you know I mean the the, the Vatican could very well say um, that you know you are you know I could receive a rebuke from them. If I'm a Protestant, I'm just kind of I can do that and you know yes I might get a slap on the shoulder from my pastor, but I can just get though go then and kind of do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well I. I agree that uh, Protestants don't have a uh, sort of a governing body that's handing out excommunications or anything. But, um, but though in fairness, it's not as if the uh, that you'd have to admit there's sort of a disparity between um, heretical statements made in the Catholic Church and excommunications handed out for heretical statements made in the Catholic Church. Right. Exactly. But what I will say though is, you know, particularly in this the society that we have now, where 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 religion is not so tightly ingrained in culture excommunication doesn't mean quite as much. I mean, it's a statement, but I would say though that in Protestantism, we agree with you guys on, on quite a lot of the essential issues related to the identity of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity and these kinds of issues that if someone, a Jehovah's witness or one as Pentecostal comes forward and, and denies any of those things, we don't say, well, Hey, scripture's unclear and we disagree and that's, that's right. fine. We say, well, you're not an Orthodox Christian. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a question of, of whether that is more or less meaningful than what, what, what Rome is able to do, uh, whether Rome does it very often or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that does kind of bring up that issue of, 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 of our centering principles. And I think there is quite a bit that we agree on. Yes. Where, where we disagree is not necessarily whether, you know, Scripture is, is, is unclear or, or, or we can understand it. I think the real disagreement is whether or not we think that um, the the magisterium, the Roman Catholic Church, has an additional authority to um, rule on issues that Scripture may not be totally clear on. Right. And, you know, we have our reasons for, you have your reasons for thinking that is the case. I have reasons for thinking that isn't the case. And and I think we, we don't want to minimize those differences because they are important. Yes. But... At the same time, I, I can, if I were to say that the church, <laughs> there were no Christians until the Reformation in the 1500s, mm. uh, you know, I, first of all, I, I don't think that that's possible because I think Christ's statement that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church would be undone if that was the case. And, you know, so when somebody comes forward and says, well, there was no church or there, wasn't, there were no Christians from the apostolic age to the time that Jehovah's Witnesses came into existence or until Joseph Smith came and said what he had to say. You know, I, I, I think such a statement is utterly contradictory mm. to, to what Scripture is teaching. So I'm going to have to say that even though I think they're important insights the Protestants brought to the table, I can't say that there were that Catholics, <laughs> you know, there, there, weren't, there were no Catholics who were Christians, there were no Eastern Orthodox who were Christians. And, and for me, what, what that ends up meaning is that if the Holy Spirit is not just in me, but in others of different live in different places or have different perspectives or who lived in different times, I need to be willing to listen to not only my tradition or my pastor or my denomination, mm-hmm. but I should be willing to go back further and and branch out a little bit and say, you know, what does um, you know what does Benedict have to say on this topic, right. maybe, or what did Athanasius have to say on this? Yes. And and you know, I, I've benefited a great deal. From yes. being willing, being willing to do that, right? right? And to be clear, of course, the 
So if you're going backwards mm-hmm. and saying that you're not going to ignore the first 1500 years of the church, yeah. um, ignore the working of the Holy Spirit, the after Vatican II, at least, I as a Catholic have to say the same and, and gratefully, gladly say the same. Not everybody um, agrees with you on that. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yeah. this, but this is yeah. pretty clear in Vatican yeah, 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 II, right? Yeah, yeah. That, well, I'm saying that, that, that they're grateful to have to say oh, that. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, well. Um, but that the Holy Spirit is at work um, in, um, in outside of the visible Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in many um, Protestant congregations and, uh, and, 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 to, and to really honor that and that, you know, we really cannot put boundaries on the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Holy Spirit is surprising. And and um, and so as 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 a Catholic, I think it's really it can become really easy to develop this sort of um, almost um, you know uh, zeal and and kind of pride about ah you know we're the we're the we're the chosen people kind of thing right mm-hmm. like well we're the we're the church we've got the fullness of the truth. And so, um, I don't need to listen to you, Cody, because you're not you're not in that. Mm-hmm. That is not what the it's not what Vatican II teaches, right? That's mm-hmm. not what that's not that's not that is not how I am to conduct myself. Because mm-hmm. I know that what what what, what I know is that the Holy Spirit um, works in many various ways, and that uh, you know that you I I can learn a lot from you and. Uh, it's it's uh, so I have to keep my eyes and ears open, you mm-hmm. know, and, and be receptive to where the Holy Spirit is leading. And so Pope Francis is pretty radical with this too. So like for instance, he um, recently he appointed uh, he established a, a a Vatican newspaper in Argentina as Pope, and he asked uh, his Protestant friend in Argentina to be the head hmm. of this newspaper that's a catholic newspaper mm-hmm. in in argentina um there are even reports that um this is this is really interesting i'm not quite sure what you would say about this i don't know what i think about this there are even reports that pope francis um would say to his protestant friends some of whom would say you know maybe i should become catholic he would say no no um uh, you need to stay Lutheran or you need to stay Anglican or mm-hmm. whatever that um, the Lord has you there for a reason and um, that we're not here to convert each other and so you should you should stay where you are mm-hmm. um, I don't know the exact truth of those but that's what these people friends of his report yeah um, well there, 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 there's all these rumors of a, of a big uh, 500 year anniversary of the Reformation bombshell that he's going to be dropping at some point yeah but... yeah <laughs> exactly. We'll yeah. see where it goes. I mean, certainly, if he were to make a statement like that, and it, and be trying to make it ex cathedra, I think that would that would be a great challenge to the consistency of what the Catholic Church has been saying. We'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> crossing your fingers that he doesn't. Um. So yeah, but you know, I, I, I you know, I, I would say, and I think you would say as well that you know there are issues that are important that you know, you know, you you may say. You know, if you're being 
I'm assuming you're going to say something optimistic or charitable toward me, like, well, you know, Cody, he understands these issues and he disagrees, but his disagreement is an honest disagreement. And I don't necessarily think that that means that he's not saved or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think you would probably agree that um, in some of the stances I'm taking, because I'm contradicting what you would say are, are, are essential truths, I'm sort of playing with fire a little bit. And I think that a lot of Protestants who are more fair-minded, uh, instead of just saying all Catholics are going to go to hell or whatever, would say some of the same things. You know, well, I can't say who, you know, but there are some central issues here that are important, and I think Catholics are going over here a little too far than they should. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean that, well, well I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. If I were just to rely on um, what evangelical Protestantism has put forward in areas of social ju social justice mm -hmm. or sanctification, for example. So social justice, I have to look to this tradition in the Catholic Church that's existed because Protestantism has been pretty weak on that. You grew up in a rationalistic Western milieu, and we just don't have those resources. Similarly, um, uh, what the Eastern Church has said about theosis and the social nature of the Trinity, those, those insights, I think, are huge. And I can only get them there. You know, and so, you know, what that ends up meaning is that if for me, too, we talked earlier about penal substitution as being defined as the gospel. I think that's a narrow Protestant viewpoint that um, is not correct. I think it's an important insight that the Protestants brought to bear that didn't really exist before they brought it to bear. But I don't think the gospel can be that narrowly defined. And what that ends up meaning is that when I look at the Catholic Church or Eastern Orthodoxy, I see other aspects of the gospel yeah. that are highlighted. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we the nice, the wonderful thing about being where we are, where we can kind of go back and, and read read what the Eastern Orthodox Church has said or what the Catholic Church has said, we can begin to piece together a bigger gospel. Yes. And right. and, and, and that's something that I, 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 I you know, I see the Holy Spirit working yes. through the errors of Protestants, through the errors of Catholics, through yes. the errors of Eastern Orthodox. Well, and I really do believe that, there, so there is, you know, just as there is a kind of a, a sexual complementarity, a gender complementarity, mm -hmm. there's a complementarity in the church. Mm -hmm. And and the church, so I, you know, I mentioned I went from Amish to charismatic evangelical protestant to anglican to catholic mm -hmm. and i mentioned that I, I i i feel like i i learned something from each tradition that has been helpful to me and i really do think that's true and there i think there's a complementarity there mm -hmm. um and so just for one example with with the uh charismatic evangelical protestants i mean some of the most fervent kind and um really just people that just really love jesus that i've met in my life are with these crazy charismatic evangelical protestant churches where there's so much instability sometimes with the leadership of these churches mm -hmm. um but um the congregants are just really really wonderful people mm -hmm. and and really people that I, mean, I have never met people who are so who wake up every day and say holy spirit what do you have for me to do today who really just like living each day as if god wants to surprise me um 
with something wonderful today. Mm-hmm. And, and not just like surprise me with a new car or a new house, not just materialist, not, mm-hmm. not, not, not mm-hmm. that, like, like, like God is a God of surprises and he's living, he's real, he's active. Mm-hmm. And we can be in tune with his mission. And, and there's this, and, and I, and, 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 and charismatic evangelical Protestants, they have kind of taught me and they encourage me the most in this sense of, of living as if God really does wish to speak with us, mm-hmm. does really wish to have a relationship with us, and does really invite us to cooperate with him in, um, in, um, in establishing the kingdom and in, 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 in making the kingdom of God here on earth. And um, so that's really wonderful. But again, but but I mean the, but the, the tradition, the the the, the doctrine. I mean the, the intellectual heft is usually just not. It's just not there in that in those congregations mm-hmm. that I've encountered. Um, and but it is there. There is a seriousness there, in, um, in Roman Catholic Church among Anglicans and you know and even Presbyterians. Uh, and I think we need both. Mm-hmm. I really think we need both of those things. Well, I'd say even 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 a a very a pretty conservative Catholic would say, you know, we're not saying that the church has actually defined every point of truth when it comes to Christian yes, doctrine exactly. or living. We're just saying that what it said is correct. That's right. So that doesn't mean that you know it is certainly very possible that the Pentecostals could have seized on something yes. that the Catholics haven't quite gotten yet. That's exactly right. And so that means that Catholics need to keep their ears open. That's exactly to right. To hear what the what the Pentecostals have yes. to say. And also practices yeah. are are varied, right? And mm-hmm. and and there's no there's no, you know, rule against cat like, you know, it, we Catholics are kind of famously very um uh you know we're not too expressive in, in in our in our in our worship. There's no rule that says that we can't that we can't you can't run around lift, the aisles and you can't lift your hands. Yeah, sure. In church, <laughs> yeah, that's a better one. There, there's no rule yeah. that says that. Really, mm-hmm. there's not. Um, uh, now, regardless of what you think about that and what you think what your you know, style of worship, you know, what I but what I'm saying is that um, there is I think there's a complementarity here in, in practices and yes and in doctrine. There may there there are things that that we do not know, that others may know, mm-hmm. and that we should keep our ears open to what the Holy Spirit is saying through others. Now, so one thing I I kept thinking about a lot when we were kind of talking about doing this, and and an issue that I I wondered uh, what insight you'd have because I have some of my own thoughts on this. There are I mean apart from the fact that you think that. Obviously, Protestants should convert to Roman Catholicism because of these issues of truth that you think are important. I wonder some of these sort of some of these other issues that that are important that don't require conversion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some things when, when you when when we're, when I'm hearing about people converting from Protestantism to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, I'm thinking if only they were in a church that did this, uh-huh. or if only they were in a church where this was important, they could have not felt the need to convert for those reasons and 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 i i wonder what what you see as these are some things that man really evangelicals are are really could step up their game in this and maybe they wouldn't be losing so many people (laughs) what's an area of of of, you know shallowness or weakness where where we you think we need to improve apart from just 
simply accepting that that the Pope is the successor to Peter. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I think one is the, one issue you've already touched on, and that is the the social justice issues, the social dimension of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, and it, many t- sometimes the, the kind of the, the sentiment that I've kind of heard a lot and kind of grew up with is that um, Jesus cares about our souls and, and getting us to heaven. So, you know, politics and, and the stuff of this life, mm-hmm. it's not really a part of poverty in the environment. Poverty and... in the environment. Yeah, it's all going to burn, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, all the creation is going to burn anyway. So what's what's it matter? So, the, yeah, there's this really, um, I think, and that was one of the things that was really attractive to me so, but church was was the social teachings of the Mm -hmm. church was this which by the way i mean is um i mean yes it's always been there but it really started with in only 1898 when or 1891 um or uh, late 1800s when uh with the encyclical rerum novarum Uh, that's the the first of the considered the, the social encyclicals so you know only in the last 100 you know 25 years um, but Catholicism grew up in an environment that was more communal. Yes, absolutely. The, the culture was more that right, way. right, and, and in the East even more so. Yes, yeah. yes, and you know this idea of um, the universal destination of human goods um, and just wage. I mean, these are uh, these are ideas that have been in the church for a long, long time, um, and. And so, in a sense, the the, the 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 Catholic Church has really just kind of consolidated it, right, in the in a lot in the last 125 years, and with the social teachings. But but yeah, so I think that's one area where um, I think that you know, even Protestants could just you know be a little bit. And then, there, of course, there's been a lot of improvement, and there's a lot of recognition for for growth in this area among the Protestants I meet today. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's one obvious candidate. Well, t- two other issues that that I see, um, I think, is kind of significant. Is well, I think that some of the problems in evangelicalism are being addressed by two different ends of Protestantism. Mm-hmm. One, which is um, very um, structured, like some sort of something like Anglicanism, mm-hmm. where you have more of an emphasis on on the aesthetic qualities of Christianity, that the beauty of the liturgy and of worship and, right. and, and sort of being willing to incorporate the whole person into the worship more. And um, then on the other hand, you have like the organic house church things that are happening right. where there's so much more freedom yes. to, um, to not just to worship, but to be in community. Right. And, and what I see happening in a lot of evangelical churches is this middle ground uh-huh. that is liturgical without acknowledging it uh-huh. because it has its own structure and it has sure. its own rituals. Right. And those are unassailable, but they don't call them liturgy. They don't call them rituals. And, you know, but we the, have our two songs that we sing and we, we have our song and then. Yeah. And the sermon. And even in just, I mean, and you can see it even in the architecture. We don't think about this, but in a Catholic church, what's at the center the Physically, altar. is the altar the yeah. idea that the that the, the, the sacrifice is central? Right. What is it in a Protestant church? The pulpit, the pulpit, yeah. and then you know, you might have you know the 
sort of stand in for the altar off to the side or in the front or whatever. And I, I was very impressed being in a Catholic church and seeing that the sermon is delivered on the side. Right. It's not delivered in the front. Right. And as Protestants, we're trying to say the word of God is central. Right. That's great. Sure. So there, there's that's the one that's the one you can say that positively, but you could also say that negatively and say yeah. that the center is this guy preaching the sermon sure. and not Christ. That's right. more, more negatively you could say that way. And um, so, you know, in this middle ground we have, we are liturgical without acknowledging it. We like to say that we have this freedom, but we don't really. Mm. And and so what I'm sort of seeing is attempts to flee this middle ground a little <laughs> bit and go to sort of these other extremes maybe that are are addressing problems with that middle ground approach that mm. is liturgical without acknowledging it and likes to call itself free but isn't. Mm. And um, what I see in, in Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy is this liturgy, is this structure, but it's also very communal. Now, there may not necessarily be the freedom in the worship to interact. There is that structure that's there, mm -hmm. um, and that sort of reigns, but there is, I think Catholics see themselves very familial, uh, even in the West, compared to Protestants. Mm. And mm. certainly that's the case in the, with the Eastern churches. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one major thing, I think, is that I think we are very social and we have a desire to belong to the body of yes. Christ and Western individualistic Protestantism simply doesn't have the resources hmm. to handle that. Hmm. That's my impression. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Because at, at the same time, um, it's also probably true that even I know a lot of Catholics kind of envy evangelical Protestants for the the their their genius as far as fellowship let's put it call it fellowship right mm -hmm. um you know small groups mm. um or even you know the coffee and just the, the you know the people stay around for a little bit after the church service is over whereas kind of infamously with with catholics like you know as we're singing the last song we're filing out you know? <laughs> and by the time you're you know church is over everybody's already in the parking lot and going home yeah so there is this so there is this kind of evangelical protestants do have this kind of genius for let's call it fellowship um you know that that part of the social hmm. um uh just there's social in that way mm -hmm. that I, a lot of catholics would wish that i find a lot of catholics would wish that more catholics were that way well that's kind of encouraging to hear and i i, I wonder if Part of that is that idea of being a cultural Catholic. Yeah, that it's part of your background, and right. you may do it without thinking about it. In a lot of cases, mm -hmm. which is you know maybe maybe not as much with with evangelicalism. Yeah, that well that, that that brings up another thing that I hear a lot of Catholics say is that they admire the evangelical zeal of many evangelical mm -hmm. Protestants, or even Catholic converts. You know, mm -hmm. um, they kind of the Catholic converts tend to be a little bit more, like, you know, let's call it evangelical, evangelical mm -hmm. Catholic. And a lot of Catholics admire that. And they, um, so yeah, so there's, there, there's that also that, um, you know, I heard uh, one of Peter Kreeft, he likes to say that if the Catholics would just get on fire, and if the Protestants would gather around the fire, then we'd have a much fuller, vibrant church. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think they tried that in England for a while, but I think the Catholics did it first. I think they set the Protestants on fire and gathered around, <laughs> oh, and then I no. think the Protestants took oh, it no. over, and then they set I don't the think, Catholics. I don't think that's what, but I don't think that's that's the meaning of the quote. Well, I don't know. It hasn't been infallibly defined for me. Well, that's true. So we should have a council <laughs> to, to define that. Determine that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, then we can hit each other while we're at the council. <laughs> well, and, and and I'm gonna say one more thing too, which is, I think a lot of people go to Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy from Protestantism because Protestants have abandoned uh, church history to the Catholics mm. and the Orthodox. Yeah. And um, and I don't think we should be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be another area to, um, to your question of what could... Mm -hmm. um, I think you asked what could Protestants do? Or, yeah. Yeah, about, uh, you know, without kind of saying that Peter is the... Not actually officially converting to Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah is that would be another um, area I think that you could see mm -hmm. some growth in. Yeah, and I think ultimately what what it is in a lot of cases is 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 depth. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you know I, I I disagree with some Catholic apologists who would say if you just read church history you'll become a Catholic because I mm -hmm. think that it's so much more muddy than mm -hmm. that. I mean, mm -hmm. there'll be things you'll recognize in Catholicism. Mm -hmm that you won't recognize in Protestantism if you read church history. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's a it's a much messier, more complicated yeah, matter. Yeah, and that. history is complicated, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really hard yeah. to discern what exactly it was. It's trying to discern what happened, you know, in the year 200 AD. I mean, that is really kind of hard. I mean, it's complicated. Um, so, so, yeah, we need good Protestant church historians, and there are good church historians. Mm -hmm. On the Protestant side. Well, and, and I think to me, when you talk about the Eucharist, what I see is so central to the Eucharist, and I borrow this from from um, from our Jewish forebears and how mm -hmm. they observe the Passover, mm -hmm. is that in keeping the Passover Seder, the idea is that you are participating in this event in history mm -hmm. that took place long ago, the redemption mm -hmm. from Egypt that God you know, had done for the, for the Jewish people. You're participating in that now yeah. through this, by doing this act that links you to these people, to this mm -hmm. event. And that's how I sort of see the Eucharist is you are participating in this act that not only links you to what happened on the cross, mm -hmm. but also to every other Christian who's observed mm -hmm. this right. Mm -hmm. and, and this sort of this, this idea of, of a community and, and is so, I think, essential to Christianity, but often ignored mm -hmm. in Protestantism. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I because I'm not necessarily extroverted or, or social in the way a lot of people are, you know, I, I would um, I would much rather read Athanasius and say, "Look at me communing with my my believers, <laughs> fellow, you know, fellow believers here," as opposed to you know going to church on Sunday and doing it. Which I, I do. Go, I'm not saying I don't go to church, but it's easier for me to mm -hmm. feel that communion when I'm reading the Church Father or mm -hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer or something mm -hmm. than it is for me to necessarily just get with people and talk. Mm -hmm. And but. You know, I think we need both. Yeah, we need to be present here, and we need to acknowledge the reality that the Church of Christ is more than just me right now in this church. Yeah, and um, yeah, and and there's also the great need to pray with each other, to worship with each other, um, to do works of mercy with each other, um, mm -hmm. because then also we. You know, if we are, if together we are, you know, what did, what did Jesus say, right? If you, when you, um, you know, you, when you feed the hungry or visit, 
the person in prison, you're visiting me in prison, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we do this together, then we're together, we're visiting Jesus. We're coming together. If, if you and me go together to feed the hungry person or visit a person in prison, together we're having an encounter with Jesus in a very kind of mystical, interesting way. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is also a really, really important way, I think, and maybe the primary way that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us as um, Protestants, Catholics, whatever you call yourself, together back to Jesus was through our it's through our encounter with the poor, with the homeless, with the prisoner. And even just with each other, the idea that we're two or more gathered, Christ yes. is present. Right, right, yes. Well, yes, that's right, yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. So now I was gonna I was, at this point I was thinking about wrapping up, but I want to make sure there's nothing more that you want to say before I wrap before I do wrap up. Any any concluding thoughts on anything we've talked about? Well, you know, it's interesting the, to think about the span of the conversation, and there really is the thread that we, we talked about bridging political divides, and then we we're talking about bridging um, church divides. And, you know, sometimes the idea of unity can sound or become kind of hokey-pokey and kind of um, there's a certain version of it that, it's kind of, you know, kumbaya, like it's not really robust and it feels kind of flat and stale mm -hmm. and, and um, fake. But unity is real and c communion is real. Um, the, I mean, Jesus in the only prayer, you can correct me if I'm wrong, in the only prayer that we have recorded of when Jesus prays, for the future church what does he pray for he prays that we may be one mm -hmm. just as he and the father are one and so and it, in everything in all of creation um you know we i've heard a um a psychiatrist say that he's looked at all these different disciplines and he says how do you know when a system is thriving? You know a system is thriving when there's integration. And he used this insight to understand the brain. You know the brain is thriving when there's integration. Um, and I think the same is true with the church. You know that the body of Christ is thriving when there's integration, when there's unity, complementarity between different parts. Um, and so unity is in communion with each other. This is how we're meant to live. This is how we are not meant to live, divided from mm -hmm. each other. And so far from being, and the same idea with peace, you know, peace can sometimes acquire a kind of hokey pokey reputation, but it's not. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Um, peace is real, peace is good. Peace is the future. Peace is the future that is the kingdom of God. This is the, you know, the line will lie down with the lamb. And um, so this is really important work. High on, I would say, 
prior to the list of Jesus is is the unity of his church mm-hmm. and the unity of all of the people um, who are bound together in him, whether inside or outside the church. And I and I I think this work of peacemaking, <laughs> both within mm-hmm. the church and and our country, and hopefully right. with neighboring countries, <laughs> yeah, is important work to be doing. And yes. I appreciate what you're doing, especially in the political realm, which is your focus right now, mm-hmm. to sort of to bridge these gaps and to remind us that we are united on some very important issues, even if we are going to disagree on some issues as well that are also significant. Yes. So thank you for that. Now, and if somebody was not interested in visiting your website when the conversation started, but has become so impressed with what you've had to say that they really want to see, read more about what you're doing, what what are some of the, the websites again? Yeah, so better-angels.org is where you can learn about the work of bridging political divides. Um, and then family-studies.org is where my wife Amber and I have written a lot about um, the work of bridging class divides and um, so those are the two main sites awesome thank you so much David thank you for having me